this is my dad. You've probably heard some stories about uh, Jack Arendt, or um, some of you know him as Papa Jack, or, um, but you hear his name a lot. Um, here, Veritas, I preached a sermon on you, Dad, um, so that happened. Um, but uh, yes, uh, he's going to read the scripture. Today, the scripture is too good to not read in its entirety. Um, so we've got 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 35 uh, through 58, if you have a Bible, you can turn it on, you can open it there, uh, but it's also going to come up on the screen so you can follow along. So, Dad, take over. Yes. Can we rise in honor of reading God's Word together? But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps a wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from one another star from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust... So are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What, am I, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Amen.
Let's pray together. Lord, in the light of this glorious scripture, one day all of us in this room will be transformed. And Lord, I pray that the, this glorious hope will just fill our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dad. Three questions we want to answer. How does the resurrection work? When will the resurrection happen? And how do we apply the resurrection? We're good at celebrating Easter, celebrating the resurrection, but how do we apply the resurrection? Those three questions. Starts in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. I'm a little insulted by that because I thought that was a pretty good question. I had that question. Did you? Like, what's the body going to look like? And he calls me a fool for asking it. Well, here's the thing, guys. The, this is actually a rebuke to the Corinthians because they are asking this question, uh, mocking Paul. They're mocking him. There's no sincerity in the question for them because they think our body, the idea of a body coming back to life is totally absurd to them. They were in this Greek dualism idea of the body is evil. Like we have the spiritual part. Remember the angelic tongues and all of this stuff. And we're, we have the spiritual. If we could just get rid of this body, then we could finally be with the Lord. And Paul is wanting to correct him. And he says, you fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps a weed or another grain. But in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he wants and to each of the seeds, its own body. Here's the first question Paul's answering. How does this whole resurrection thing work? The answer is the resurrection works like a seed Now, when a seed is put into the ground and dies, nobody says, oh, great, it's over. It's finished. It's done. All hope is lost. No. We say, awesome, something better is about to happen. In fact, the whole point of the seed's existence is to die that's its whole purpose in life, is to die and be buried in the ground. So for the Christian, death does not mean God's purposes have been overcome. It means God's purposes are just beginning, just like a seed. So there's a couple things about this seed metaphor that you want to make note of. Number one, the seed is a picture of continuity, the life in it continues in a new form. It's a picture of continuity. The life that exists in the seed continues just in a new form. Same life, but two different forms. When you die, like what makes you you is not just your body, your personality, your consciousness, your soul. When you die, you continue on. Your consciousness continues. The you that makes you you, that continues on. You never cease existing. You continue just like a seed continues, but in a very different form, right? So he asks, what kind of body will they have when they come? Well, that's a great question. Trying to guess what the resurrection body will be like is kind of like trying to guess what these things are going to become. 
those seeds up there. I mean, maybe a couple people in this room know what those seeds are. Don't spoil it for everyone else. Because all we can see are a bunch of seeds that, who knows, smaller than a dime. These seeds on the bottom, those furry little things. What possible life could come from those things? Well, you can't see the potential of a tree or a flower in those seeds, can you? But it's there. The potential exists in those seeds. Same is true with our bodies. And just like those seeds are waiting to find some dirt, your body is waiting to find some dirt as well. Like the old preacher said, when you die, they're going to throw you in the ground, throw dirt on your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad, right? <laughs> That's kind of how our life is going to end, right? Well, Paul goes on in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. The second thing you want to make note of from this metaphor of the seed is that the seed is a picture of transformation, what we were saying earlier. It's a a picture of continuity, but it's also a picture of transformation from this earthly body to a spiritual body, he gives four examples of what this transformation looks like. Four pictures. Here's the first one. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Okay, the first picture of transformation is it goes from perishable to imperishable. Corruption to incorruption. So the first word is imperishable or incorruption. This, I like the word imperishable just a little better. I think uh, things perish. Everything we know perishes. We've never seen something in this world that doesn't perish, except maybe a McDonald's hamburger, which never perishes. But most other things we see in this world perish. They rot, they decay, they rust. This is an important word. Nine times he uses this. Incorruptibility, corruptibility, corruptibility, incorruptibility. He goes through nine times here. It's an important word. He's saying one thing about heaven, it's never going to be corrupted. It's never going to decay, rust, age, break down, wrinkle. Guys, there's something I have to face this morning. I'm getting old, right? I'm getting over the hill, if you will. I'm 44, and guys, the first time I ever saw signs of aging is when I was 33 years old. I looked in the mirror, and then I looked a little closer, and I squinted, and I saw a gray hair. It happened at 33, and it's getting grayer and grayer, and my barber's like, hey, let's keep cutting it shorter, because when it grows out, you see that gray more, right? And pretty soon, it's going to be all gray and all that, you know? But another thing happened where I'm really seeing my aging, happened at age 44, I got a pair of slippers. I'm getting to that age, I'm getting to that age where I'm getting a little fastidious, 
overly difficult to please. I want my feet to be comfortable and not cold, okay? So uh, slippers, right? Maybe it's, I'm not getting old, I'm just getting smart, okay? Maybe I just don't wanna, I just wanna be comfortable. So thing is, when I go to friends' houses, I bring my slippers with me, okay? So I take my slippers and I take off my shoes like Mr. Rogers and I put on my slippers and I'm just good. I'm in it to win it at that point. Um, and so the, the problem happened uh, this week. Uh, we were going over to a friend's house. I looked all over the house for my slippers. Guys, I was looking high and low. I went through every cabinet, every drawer. I'm tearing things. I'm going under every bed, all the couch, the cushions. I don't know. How can this? I don't know. I'm just looking everywhere, right? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes goes by. Finally, I get down to the mudroom, and I am at that point of exasperation where all you can do is put your arms on your knees, your hands on your knees, and just like, oh, you know, just like, where are the slippers? And I'm just like, oh, and as I'm looking down, I see the slippers. They're on my feet. And some of you are thinking, I sure hope in the Veritas Constitution, there's something like the 25th Amendment, right? In case of Losing your mental faculties, we can get this guy out of here, right? This guy's losing his mind. All right, well, here's the thing, guys. The problem, like you, I'm perishing. We're all dying. It's like the old person that looked at the young person, right? The young people, you think you're never gonna age, never gonna, never gonna die. This old person looked and said, as you are, I once was. And as I am, you too shall be. This is the problem. We are perishing, but in heaven, nothing perishes. Nothing ages, nothing aches, nothing balds, nothing dies. Your body is forever young. Verse 43, this seed is sown in dishonor. you've seen or been with somebody who has died every single death has this in common it's humiliating it's dishonor but it's raised in glory the second picture of transformation from earthly body to spiritual body is glorious it is glorious it's exalted it's honored as humiliating as the death was, that's how glorious the life will be. It's beauty, it's brightness. One of the most glorious human beings I've ever met was my grandma Marge, Marge Griffith. She was so filled with life. She was filled with life to the very end. As kids, she would serve us, she would change her schedule, she oriented her life around us, serving us, giving us gifts always slipping us a $20 bill, right? And that's when a 20 was like a lot of money. Now I don't know what the equivalent is. Maybe that'd be like getting a 50 or something. And she always just wanted to love it. She, she hosted the whole town for cards. I mean, she'd always be some, someone's house or someone would be in her house and she's serving them coffee. And she was just one of the greatest humans that I've met, beautiful woman, we had the privilege of spending the last month with her. She moved in to our home. And the last night 
she was with us. She was up all night talking. Talking about weird childhood memories. Things that happened in high school. Things that happened throughout her life. And all night long she was calling out for my wife. Saying her name. Finally, after Leif and I were just wrestling around, not sleeping, finally Leif just gets up and she says, Mark, we're going to the hospital and one of us is going to die. <laughs> we got, we've got to get Graham to the hospital. This is driving me nuts. I don't know what to do. I scoop my grandma up. I put her in the car. And a couple days later, she was gone. And we saw the humiliation of death. That such a, a person filled with so much life that their life would end that way. And Paul is saying to us, remember the seed. The seed is sown in dishonor. But it's raised in glory. Let's go back to this picture. What in the world will these little seeds become? Let's see. A giant sequoia tree. Some of you guys have seen these in California, right? General Sherman, the biggest tree in the world. These massive sequoias from a little seed. What about the next one? This little furry one. What could this possibly become? The king protea plant in uh, flower in South Africa. I guess these are everywhere. Maybe... Uh, some of you have been to South Africa and seen these. I saw this online. I'm like, is that even a thing? That looks like it's alien to our planet. Like somebody just made that up. It's a piece of plastic. That, is that, look at those colors. The brilliance. Joel, maybe you're here. Maybe you've seen one of these. Uh, friend from South Africa. Well, that's amazing. And that's a picture of what our bodies will become. Raised in glory. This is one of my favorite topics in the whole Bible to talk about. It's the doctrine of glorification. It's one of the most amazing truths and the least talked about things in the church. The doctrine of glorification is this. I want you to think about angels. Um, angels, are they greater or less than humans? Like less than, right? I mean, humans have a special place in God's heart, if you will, right? Um, and so what happens when people in the Bible, humans, encounter angels? Uh, they fall down and try to worship these angelic beings. And what do the angels say? No, don't worship me. Worship him. Worship Jesus. Okay, so we're going to be resurrected. Do you think that we're going to be more or less glorious than the angels? I'm just guessing more glorious. In fact, 1 John 3, verse 2 says, When you see Jesus, you will be like him, for you shall see him as he is. You will be transformed to be like Jesus Christ. Which is amazing if you've ever read Revelation 1. The picture of Jesus in Revelation 1, eyes blazing like fire, voice sounds like rushing waters, hair like wool, he's just brilliant and John says I fell as though dead at his feet 
And John says, yeah, that's what you're going to look like when you die. That word glory is packed with so much hope and meaning. Like C.S. Lewis said, you have never seen a mere mortal. If you could see any person in this room in their resurrected state, if somehow Grandma Marge could just show up, you would be tempted to worship her because she would be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But C.S. Lewis also says, oh, it might be a creature that you would be tempted to worship or it might be a creature so hellish you have not encountered even in your worst nightmare. We are all going to one possible destiny or another. Raised up to be with God in heaven or separated him from eternity in hell. These are the possible paths for you. And Paul brings us to that crossroads with resurrection. Sown in weakness, the third one. Sown in weakness, raised in power. The third picture of transformation is power or powerful. The new spiritual body is going to be powerful. We've seen power, but never anything like a dead corpse coming back to life. Or ashes, (laughs) How is God going to do that, bringing it all back? Oh, he can do all things. Remember the martyrs that were burned at the stake? Oh, he'll bring them all back to life. And even now in Revelation 5, I believe, they're around the throne crying out, how long till you come back? Right? They are in the presence of the Lord. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The fourth thing in verse 44, he says, the seed is sown, like our body is sown, a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. The fourth thing about this spiritual body is it's perfectly adapted for heaven. Perfectly adapted for heaven. You have to understand how controversial these words in verse 44 would have been to the Corinthians where he says, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. A pneumaticos soma, a spiritual body, because they would have said, there is no such thing. There can be no such thing. The spirit and the physical are two separate things. We need to get rid of our bodies. That's our hope, is to get rid of our bodies. And and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Go back to Genesis 1. God created Adam, right? And he said, he's got a body. He's a physical person. He says, it is good. It's very good. The only thing that's not good is man should not be alone. So he brings this woman and the two will become one flesh. It's this beautiful picture. This earth was glorious. And he's saying, but we're going to be raised a spiritual body, perfectly adapted. So the thing you have to remember is spiritual does not mean immaterial or non-physical. We are not going to be floating around in some nebulous world with clouds and playing harps and whatever. I hope not. Some of you are like, that's your vision of heaven. And for me, I just think that's terrible. Like I'm gonna die, my soul's gonna float around and somehow I'm gonna be handed a harp. I don't know how to play harp. And he's gonna say, well, you'll have forever to figure it out, right? And so I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I like it here. Everyone in hell's having fun. I I don't know what to do here, right? That's our picture 
Of course we don't want to go to that place. That's not compelling. But that's not what Paul describes the resurrection as. He says, your body, heaven, the air of holiness, your lungs are not able to breathe. And God will give you a body that will be able to take in the presence of God that somehow the light of Jesus won't blind you and kill you. You'll be able to take it in and say, yes. Now, this is not necessarily superhero, like I can fly wherever. What Paul's saying is, it's not immaterial or non-physical, it's supernatural. And your body is going to be able to do everything that God intends it to do. In Isaiah and Revelation, the scripture says that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. This has not happened yet. There's not a new heavens and new earth out there, right? It has not happened yet. In the end, Jesus will come back. I'm hoping that I'm still holding out hope that we'll be able to explore the cosmos Black holes, right? All the things. Olympus Mons on Mars, that massive mountain that's like three or four times the size of Mount Everest. I wonder if God's going to let us explore to recreate this new heavens, to burn up the sin and the injustice and the corruption in the world and create a new heavens and new earth. No more mental afflictions and physical, emotional struggles that we all have. Verse 44 through 49 in this next section, um, we're kind of going to skip this part, but, but Paul basically compares Adam uh, to Jesus, and he says, hey, just like Jesus had to be raised from the dead, so you also have to be raised from the, bed, from the dead and the bed. Um, Luke 24, we see that Jesus in his resurrected state eats fish. People can touch him. They can see him. He's got a new body. That's amazing. Well, verse 50, he says, what, am, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. What he's saying is it's not possible for your sinful self to take in the air of heaven tainted by sin, right? Verse 51, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now, this is not soul sleep. This is not you die and you just kind of go into the state of non-existence or unconsciousness till Jesus returns. That's not what he's saying. This is a euphemism for dying, okay? Falling asleep means that not all Christians will die, but we will all be changed. What does he mean? What he's saying is even the people who are alive when Jesus comes back will also have to get new bodies. It's not that, it's like, sweet, you're 30 years old. You're at the prime of your life. You can keep that body. It's the dead people who have to get new bodies. No, no, no. Paul says, we will all be changed. We will all be changed at the return of Jesus, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just think of how, how rapid your eye movement is. It's going to be that instantaneous, this transformation at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound. In the Old Testament, we see this in Exodus 19. We see it in the prophets, in Joel. We see it in, uh, in Zechariah. This trumpet is the call to gather people 
to meet with God. And Paul says here, it's the last one. It's the la- that means this is the trumpet that says, it's over. The end. It's like when I was a kid, you know, we'd be out and some of my friends, you know, around 5.30, we'd hear a whistle. Some, what's that? And my friend would be like, oh, that's, that's, my, that's my parents calling me home for dinner. Got to go, right? You need a loud, something loud to get people together, right? That's the trumpet. That's what it means. And when that trumpet blows, it's over. So your life is going to end one of two ways, right? You're either going to die or you're going to hear a trumpet. And that's when it's over. Okay, so the question Paul's answering here is, when will the resurrection happen? When is this whole thing going to go down? The answer is, the resurrection will happen when Jesus Christ returns. And that day has not happened yet. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember Jesus on the cross looked at that thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Wait, I'm confused. What happens to people when they die? They don't go to heaven? You're saying heaven hasn't happened yet? Resurrection hasn't happened yet? What happens? Well, your soul goes to be in the presence of the Lord. But your soul is not in heaven yet because this resurrection thing has not happened yet. Even the people in heaven, Revelation, as I mentioned, the martyrs, they're waiting for the resurrection. But they're with the Lord, right? They're in the presence of the Lord. So technically it's not true when you say they died and they're in heaven, right? The capital H, new Jerusalem, new heavens, heaven has not happened yet. But they are with the Lord, as Paul says, as it said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, and the thief on the cross. So he continues, verse 53, for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When the corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? This is a quote from Hosea 13, 14, where the writer is taunting a bee because its stinger has been removed. And it's like, what's up now? You only got one stinger. Now you're dead. That's all you got? And this Hosea scripture is taunting the sting of a bee. And Paul uses this to taunt death. That's hilarious. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. See, the law exposes our sin and shows us how much we deserve to die. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come full circle back to Easter Sunday. Remember, what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God for that gift. Now, verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. We know how to celebrate Easter on Easter Sunday. 
But how do you apply Easter? How do you apply this whole resurrection thing? What does this sermon look like in your life tomorrow morning? First thing I think we see here is the application of the resurrection is to practice taunting death. Practice this. Practice running smack at death. I think that's, take that, death. That's what Paul's doing here. Hey, death, is that all you got? Is that, that's it? Cancer? Oh, injustice? That's, that's it? Just all you're going to do is kill me? Because God will raise my body. Then what are you going to do about that? Oh, you're going to try to, oh, that's hilarious. Right? You're, you're taunting. Now, you're not taunting people. You're taunting death. Right? Some of you are going to get online and start getting into the comments section. And No, no, no. That's, not, that's what we're talking about. How do you do this? Here's how you do it. You start singing a worship song. We've got some incredible death taunt songs. We're going to close with a couple of them. You know, I love this. Songs like, the ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away. This perfect love could not be overcome. Oh, death, where's your sting? Or one of the best death taunt songs of our day in Christ alone. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That's how you taunt death. Is you don't listen to your fears and anxiety. You start speaking to them and singing to them and say, I know who Jesus is. I did a funeral one time and the, the guy said, I was leading worship at this funeral and he said, okay, we're going to close with the song Victory in Jesus. I'm like, I don't know that song, man. He's like, you don't know Victory in Jesus? Let me teach it to you. This is literally like 15 or 20 minutes before the funeral. And I'm supposed to learn this song. He's like, yeah, victory in Jesus. Some of you guys can keep, can we do it? I, I see some people like, come on. Victory in Jesus. Gonna have to go louder. We don't know it. His redeeming love. Let me ere I knew him. That's right. There it is. Victory. No, we're not going to do that. I, I'm just saying, like, that's awesome. Plunged into the blood. Whatever that, it's like a water slide or what? I don't know. But like, we're just like, in the grace of God, there's victory in Jesus. Some of you are like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I had that one in my heart. And then James sang it a couple weeks ago. It's like, yes, that's what you need to do. And when you can't sing anymore because you're taking your last breaths, get a playlist. Get the like death taunt song playlist going and say, hey. When I'm getting close, just hit play on this. Man, I like these songs. That was one of my most worshipful moments ever. Oh, yeah. Being in the room when they hit play on this song. 
And they sung Oceans, and this couple handed me their, their dead baby, and I was holding this, listening to this song. Where, oh, death, is your victory? If you're a Christian, the best days are always ahead of you. Because to live is Christ. Hey, living in Jesus is great. But to die is gain. It's even better. He ends with these words. So always excel in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do you apply the resurrection? You invest in people, not stuff. People will last forever. Your stuff will be gone. And how sad would it be if you spent your whole life succeeding at things that don't matter? You pile up a bunch of stuff that's going to rust out and your kids are going to get a big old dumpster and throw it away and say, who wants this? And you're like, I don't know. The few things that they'll fight over are some pictures and some memories. And the rest of it, just goodwill and burn pile. And you would spend your whole life investing in that. Come on. Paul's saying no. Give yourself to the work of the Lord, the things that will last forever. Think about eternity, think about resurrection, and adjust your time and your spending and your life accordingly. It's not in vain. As someone said, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We're going to close with some great death taunt songs. And even better, we're going to close with communion. And Jesus said, right before he went to his death, he said, I want you to do this as often as you do this. You do it in remembrance of me. And he says, I will not eat of this fruit of the vine or, or drink of this fruit of the vine again until I return. I think even the people in heaven are waiting for the wedding supper of the lamb. Like, come on, when's it gonna happen? And he says, that's why I want you to take communion because I want you to proclaim my death until I return. I want you to remember that death is not the end. If you don't know Jesus Christ, this morning is a great time to transfer your trust to him because who will save you from death but Jesus? I don't think any other religious leader claimed to solve the death problem. They may have tried to solve some behavior problems, but not the death problem. That's like one person said, you know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Jesus came to solve your death problem. And this would be a great morning to take communion if you've never done it. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. When you're ready, as the worship team leads us, feel free to get up, go out and uh, receive communion.